Well, the Gonzaga Bulldogs tip off their season against North Florida at the Kennel on Monday afternoon, but the big topic for today remains the Big 12 rumors swirling around Gonzaga University. Hear more on them right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, happy season, Gonzaga fans. It is officially the tip-off of the 22-23 campaign when the Zags take on the North Florida Ospreys on Monday evening. Today is also Mailbag Monday. A reminder for those of you who want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, you can tweet at me at Andy Patton CBB. Whenever you are thinking of a question, you can also tweet at Locked on Zags. I post a tweet on Sunday morning soliciting questions. You can respond to that to make sure your question gets in the show as well. And finally, you can email me, andypatton 13 at gmail.com if you have multiple questions you want to ask to make sure that they can get into the show. All right, we are starting heavy with Big 12 rumors today. For Mailbag Monday, this first question comes from at StrikeNowhere on Twitter who says, If the Zags were to be invited into the Big 12 along with Arizona and San Diego State, would they split into an east-west setup? What teams would the Zags likely get paired with for home and homes? Yeah, the Big 12 is a bit of an interesting conference geographically in the sense that it's really, really heavily Texas-based. Of course, Texas is leaving the Big 12 and joining the SEC, but they are adding Houston into the conference, so it doesn't really change the dynamic all of that much. I think a situation where Gonzaga joined the Big 12 along with Arizona and San Diego State, I don't know how likely that is, only because I don't really think the Pac-12 is just going to lay down and allow the conference, the Big 12, to not only poach Arizona, but also take their preferred addition to the conference in San Diego State. I think it's quite likely that the Aztecs end up in the Pac-12 in the near-ish future. I I don't know how particularly likely this situation is, but I do think that the Big 12 would like to find a way to create like a Big 12 West or a Big 12 East. Uh, obviously, BYU is a factor there. They are a more Western located team that currently exists in the Big 12, or at least will exist in the Big 12 in the in this hypothetical future that includes Gonzaga. Uh, so I do think that that is kind of the way that they're going to look at it. But right now, I think that these conversations are, are more exploratory than anything else, but also Geography isn't necessarily a big sticking point. If Gonzaga wants to join the Big 12, they would be doing it under the with the understanding that they're going to have to travel a lot and that they're, the Big 12 isn't necessarily going to find ways to add natural travel partners for them. That's not necessarily going to be a big part of the Big 12's priority. So if Gonzaga wants in and the Big 12 wants them in, and this is actually something that ends up happening, it's going to be with the understanding that Gonzaga is just going to have to travel. They're going to spend a lot of time on planes. They're going to spend a lot of time heading out to different time zones. And there's not necessarily an assumption that the Big 12 is going to do anything that would alleviate some of those travel concerns for the Zags. 
Next question comes from at Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who says, assuming the Zags played in the Big 12 last year, where do you think they would have finished? Yeah, so obviously uh, Houston was not in the Big 12 last year, so they would not have been a factor uh, in that regard. Uh, that would leave a trio, a top three, in some capacity of Kansas, Baylor, and Gonzaga. All three teams that ended up securing number one overall seeds in the NCAA tournament proof that a Big 12 with the Gonzaga Bulldogs in it would just be a ludicrous basketball conference, especially when you factor in the addition of Houston coming down the pipeline. I think looking at this team last year, obviously a team with Chet Holmgren, with Andrew Nembhard, uh, we saw some struggles from this team early last year, but they, by and large, figured it out down the stretch until they kind of limped into the, the NCAA tournament and unfortunately fell to Arkansas in the Sweet 16. I would probably put them third, but they're, you could order it with those three programs any single way, and I think you would have a legitimate argument. Obviously, end-of-season results favors Kansas. It's hard to have Kansas not number one when they won the dang national championship. Baylor obviously lost earlier in the NCAA tournament than Gonzaga did, so I think you could argue for Gonzaga second, Baylor third. I have Gonzaga ahead of Texas Tech and, of course, Texas, who would be in this conference in this situation just because Gonzaga beat both those teams last year. But I think that they would definitely challenge for for top seed as well. So I'm going to lean saying second for the Zags behind Kansas ahead of Baylor. But those three teams are kind of anyone's guess. They're really, really talented programs last season, and they're going to be really, really talented programs this season as well. Final question for the first segment comes from Pete via Gmail. Pete says, West Virginia coach Bob Huggins is not convinced that Gonzaga will sustain its success if it makes the jump to the Big 12. Quote, I would think it would be a tremendous awakening for Gonzaga if they were to join the Big 12. Huggins told reporters on Thursday, does he have a valid point? I think the the issue that I have with this quote, and it's certainly context is important and all of that stuff, but I don't like the phrase awakening. I don't I think the reason that I I don't like that and the reason that it kind of sticks with me a little bit is it's kind of seems to be under this assumption that Gonzaga is like unaware (laughs) that that a new schedule, that a a switch from the WCC to the Big 12 is going to be much more difficult. And I don't like that assumption because I don't think that that's true. Gonzaga has played over 30 games against Big 12 opponents. They do not have to play them on consecutive days or on, you know, every other day like you would in a regular Big 12 conference. Uh, schedule and I, I'm not going to pretend that playing Baylor on January 3rd, playing Texas Tech on January 5th, and then playing Texas on January 11th and West Virginia on the 13th is is comparable to playing 35 games against the Big 12 over the course of five or six seasons. They're not. But I think that quotes like this from Bob Huggins seem to perpetuate this belief that Gonzaga seems to think that, well, we've had success against these programs in the non-conference, so we're just going to go in and go 26-5 and five or, you know, 31-2 and two or whatever. And I don't think that that's true. I don't, I don't believe that Gonzaga will do that, and I don't believe that Gonzaga believes that they will do that. And that's why I don't really like the way that these quotes are, are phrased. Uh, and again, context is always perhaps a little bit different than, than how the actual quote reads on a piece of paper, but... I don't think Gonzaga is unprepared for a move to the Big 12 or Big East or Pac-12 or, or whatever. I think that there is an understanding that they're not going to just go undefeated from January until early March every single year or only suffer one loss in that time period. It's going to be different. They're going to lose more games. They're going to be challenged in more games. It's going to be a much more difficult thing. And I think that Gonzaga knows that, and I think that they're prepared for that. And I think any quotes that make it seem like they're not are coming out of bad faith. 
the belief that Gonzaga is going to be worse when they join the Big 12 in the sense that they're going to have more losses on their record, everybody should believe that. I do not believe Gonzaga is going to go undefeated or only lose one loss through a Big 12 gauntlet. It's just not going to happen. But I don't believe that Gonzaga thinks that they will. And maybe I'm over, maybe I'm reading too far into the quote or the, the spe- specifics of how it was phrased by Huggins, but I don't like that that assumption seems to be permeating because I don't think that that's true. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're talking Drew Timmy. We're specifically talking about Drew Timmy's defense, how he's going to be utilized on that end of the floor and what it means for Gonzaga and their national championship aspirations. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. As the weather turns to fall with small businesses back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier for you to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two. So any patents still locked on Zags. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, still Mailbag Monday here in the second segment. We're talking a little bit more about Gonzaga's roster and specifically Drew Timmy. This first question comes from Drew at Salt1238 on Twitter, who says, What will be the defensive strategy to funnel away from the basket when Timmy and Strother play the four and the five? Yeah, this is kind of the million-dollar question, quite frankly, for the Zags, I think. We have seen Gonzaga utilize this small ball lineup in the past, most notably, of course, during the 2020-2021 season when Drew Timmy was the starting five and Corey Kispert was the starting four. Uh, Of course, during that season, for the first half of the year, Anton Watson started. They ended up switching the starting lineup, bringing Andrew Nembhard into the rotation, bringing Anton Watson off the bench. One of the things that it created was a lack of rim protection and kind of a not really anybody on the floor to significantly challenge shots at the rim. And so Baylor found a way to really exploit that in the national championship game, getting switches at the top of the key, attacking the rim. Nobody was down there to erase those shots. Then, of course, last year, Gonzaga had the ability to to take more gambles, to take more risks away from the rim uh, with the understanding that, hey, maybe this results in a guy getting a drive to the basket, but then they got to try to score over Chet Holmgren. And, you know, he led the uh, set the Gonzaga's all-time record or tied Gonzaga's all-time record for blocks in a season. So they had the ability to force players to try to score around Chet Holmgren. That's not going to be an option this year. Chet Holmgren is gone. 
He's in Oklahoma City rehabbing an injury, and the Zags didn't really add an impact rim protector around him. They have Efton Reed. I think he's going to be more capable in that role than perhaps he is getting some credit for, but I also don't think he's going to play 30 minutes a night. I think he's only going to play maybe... 15-ish minutes per night, depending on Drew Timmy's situation. So Gonzaga is going to have to figure out what they want to do in terms of not allowing players free reign at the basket effectively. In the Tennessee scrimmage, we didn't see, we saw them try multiple things and we didn't see anything that worked all that well. Tennessee and Tennessee, very, very talented team and also shot the absolute crap out of the ball, which makes it a lot more complicated. But Tennessee's a really good team. And if they have the ability to get Mostly free looks at the basket, that's going to be a problem for Gonzaga. So they have some stuff they need to figure out, whether it's significant use for some of Gonzaga's best perimeter defensive players like Hunter Salas, like Rasir Bolton, and just really hoping that they can do the absolute best they can to keep those players in front of them. Maybe it's a different way of attacking screens, although we haven't seen Gonzaga switch the way that they head screens in a very, very long time. So I would be surprised to see them do too much there. But ultimately, whatever solution Gonzaga comes up with and whatever strategy the players use to try to to do their best to keep their opposing players in front of them and not let them get free drives to the basket, it's going to be really, really significant because the Zags don't have somebody back there who can really help turn those shots into uh, into opportunities for Gonzaga to get out in transition. All right, next question here comes from at DadRisk on Twitter who says, Are you concerned about the Anton slash Timmy lineups? It's one thing not having shooting from your bigs when you have NBA guards out there like two years ago, but I'm not sure this team can afford that lack of spacing. I'm not sure that I buy the uh, the concern with the question, quite frankly, because I think that this particular roster is actually the best group of shooters that a lineup including Anton Watson and Drew Timmy have ever been surrounded with. You mentioned the NBA guards from two years ago. Sure enough, Jalen Suggs, Andrew Nampard, both NBA guards, both really, really talented players, two of the best guards to ever come through Gonzaga's program, but neither of them were knocked down three-point shooters. Jalen Suggs was not a good three-point shooter. That was the knock on him coming out of college. It's been the knock on him so far through his professional career. Andrew Nembhard was a very good three-point shooter last season, shot about 38%, but prior to that, he wasn't very good either. Yes, that team, of course, had Joel Iai and Corey Kispert, and those two guys were good three-point shooters. Kispert was over 40%. I think Joel was around 39%, but this year's team is as good or better than that. Rasir Bolton shot 45% from three last year. He shot over 50% in conference play. Malachi Smith shot 40% last year at Chattanooga. He's going to get, hopefully, the bump that we have seen other Gonzaga guards get in the past where they come to a program where they are no longer the focal point of the opposing team's defense, and we actually see their efficiency increase. Ryan Woolridge, three-point percentage, went up about 10 percentage points from his last year at North Texas to his first year at Gonzaga. Rasir Bolton's went up about 10%. 10 points from his best season in his collegiate career, which is at Penn State as a freshman, was 36. He was 46% last year. So if Malachi Smith takes a bump there, if Rasir Bolton is obviously back, Julian Strother is going to be in the mix for playing time at the four and the three. He's, of course, a 40% three-point shooter. Healthy Dominic Harris could be a potentially elite three-point shooter for this Gonzaga roster. Then you have Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas. There's a little bit more of a question mark on what their outside shooting is going to look like. But by and large, I think for the most part, lineups that include Anton Watson and Drew Timmy are going to have a better crop of shooters around them than they have ever had before, or at least comparable. I do not think worse than than what that we saw with Joe Eliai, with Corey Kispert, with Nembhard Suggs, uh, you know, Aaron Cook, everybody who was on that team. So for me, I, I don't think that 
to the short answer to the question is no, I'm not particularly concerned about Anton Timmy lineups because I think that there is enough floor spacing on this roster that those two guys, even if they don't take, uh, if we don't see their shooting improve, which I think you kind of got to bank on the fact that it's not going to be there. And if it is great, if both those guys are better outside shooters, awesome. But if they're not, I think there's enough shooting on this team that they're not going to be in a situation where there's a big log jam or a big inability to space the floor with those two guys on it. Next question comes from at Havilla Benjamin on Twitter, who says, will we see Timmy get in foul trouble more often this season because he will be the main defensive presence down low? I'm not 100% sure that Timmy's going to be just anchored around the rim. So I don't know. I think if he were, if he was going to be constantly playing down around the rim and trying to block shots and, you know, the primary rebounder in that role, then yeah, I think there's a risk that he's going to commit more fouls. Timmy's pretty good at utilizing his footwork, utilizing his size to not commit fouls. It's actually a strength of his. Uh, But for the most part, I think... I think in any situation where Drew Timmy and Efton Reed are playing together, Reed is definitely unquestionably without a doubt going to be the low post player. I think that they, through the first two exhibitions, through what we've kind of seen from the coaching staff, that seems to be the role that they want Efton Reed to have. But I also think there's a very realistic situation where when Drew Timmy and Anton Watson are on the floor together, where you're actually having Watson do more of that kind of down low dirty work. And it's a bit, it's kind of tough to do that for this roster because Anton Watson is such an elite perimeter defensive player and Drew Timmy, quite frankly, is not anywhere close to an elite perimeter defensive player. And so you're kind of sacrificing a little bit in that regard. But Watson, while I don't think he's going to be like a Brandon Clark level shot blocker or eraser in that regard, I think he has the ability to to alter shots really effectively, to get rebounds, to get out in transition in those situations. So I'm not sure that Drew Timmy is going to be anchored down right underneath the basket for 30 plus minutes a night. But I do think that there's a risk that if Gonzaga is in a situation where he's being asked to alter shots by driving guards, that it could be could put him in a situation where he gets in more foul trouble. I suspect that if that becomes a, a pattern or an issue, Mark Few is going to figure out a way to make an adjustment. Because the worst thing that can happen to this team is Drew Timmy picking up two early fouls with with any kind of regularity. That's just not an option for Gonzaga. So they're going to figure out a way to change the lineup or change the the role that Drew Timmy is filling on defense in order to prevent that situation from occurring. All right, two segments down. We got plenty, plenty more to discuss in today's episode of Mailbag Monday. We're going to talk more about which losses Gonzaga might suffer before Christmas. We also got some words of encouragement on this team coming up as well. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball is less than one week away. It is here as we are talking right now. College football and the NFL are in the thick of their seasons as well. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags. We're still hammering through Mailbag Monday here as we get closer and closer to the first game 
the Gonzaga basketball season. This next question comes from Urson at NBA on Twitter, who says, how many minutes per game do you expect Hunter Salas will play this season? Yeah, so I did a season preview episode of Hunter Salas last week, talking all about his history, his best and worst case scenarios for this upcoming season, as well as a look at his expected role, expected production, and potential NBA future. Uh, In that episode, I talked about Hunter Salas playing somewhere in the ballpark of 15 to 20 minutes per game. I stand by that. I still think that's the general expectation for Hunter Salas this season. I do believe he's going to come off the bench. It looks like we're going to get a starting lineup that includes Nolan Hickman at the one and Rasir Bolton at the two, potentially Julian Strother at the three with Anton Watson playing the four, perhaps in the middle of the season, as we saw in 2021, maybe Julian Strother will start at the four and they will start a third guard alongside Bolton and Hickman. That could be Hunter Salas. It could be Malachi Smith. It could be Dominic Harris, depending on his health. So I think think I'm inclined to believe Salas is going to be a high-energy guy off the bench for the most part this season. I think that fits his his current skill set, his ability to be really tenacious defensively, bring a bunch of energy and athleticism off the bench. Uh, I think he's going to get plenty of run, particularly against Gonzaga's not great non-conference opponents, so against North Florida on Monday potentially against Kent State, Northern Illinois, some of those other games that Gonzaga's playing. I'll be interested to see how much Mark Few trusts him out there against Michigan State or against Texas or Kentucky. I think he's more likely to rely on the older guys, particularly Rasir Bolton, particularly Malachi Smith in those contests. But I wouldn't be shocked if we got to see Hunter still quite a bit in those games as well. I think his perimeter defense is just so critical to what this team is right now, especially because they don't have an eraser on on the backside. They don't have a Chet Holmgren or a Brandon Clark. So the ability to keep players in front of them and, and make defensive plays 28, 30 feet away from the basket is a huge part of what's going to make Gonzaga successful this year. And Hunter Salas is as good as anybody on this roster at doing that. So if he can get out there, steal, get five or six steals a game like he did against Warner Pacific, that's not going to happen every game. But against opponents like that, you sure hope that he can knock the ball away a few times. And even just a few takeaways, a few pokes, uh, things like that, uh, even against high-profile opponents, that's the kind of stuff that's going to keep Hunter Salas on the floor. Next question comes from Dad Risk on Twitter, who says, over under 2.5 losses before Christmas. It's funny, I like when questions are phrased like this because I think that the assumption is that the number of losses after Christmas is going to be much less. Ideally, you would set the over under for losses post Christmas at 0.5. You really hope that Gonzaga can run through the WCC. Maybe they get clipped in one game at St. Mary's, at BYU, whatever it may be. But this team's schedule prior to Christmas is ridiculous. You got Michigan State on Friday. You got Texas next week. You got Kentucky four days after that. You got the PK-85, which could include Duke and a various other really good programs that they could run into there. You got Baylor in early December. You got Alabama in Birmingham a couple weeks after that. It is a ridiculous, really, really challenging schedule. Every one of those games is a potential loss. Every single one of them. Do I think they will lose all of them? Absolutely not. Do I think they will lose somewhere between two and three of them? Yes. Yes, I do. That's kind of why an over-under 2.5 is pretty tough. I'm going to stay optimistic, and I'm going to say under. I'm going to say under. I'm not going to make predictions on which game, because like I said, I think every single one of them is is winnable. I think every single one of those games is winnable, and I think they could lose all of them too. So would I be shocked if they lost to Kentucky and Alabama and won the PK-85? Not necessarily. Would I be shocked if they finished second in the PK-85, lost to Texas, but beat Kentucky and Alabama? 
No, not necessarily. And Baylor, like, it's it's a tough schedule. It's a tough schedule. I think Gonzaga's going to figure it out enough that they're only going to lose two of these games, maybe even less than two of these games. But I also think that if they lose three of these games, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. It's not some indictment on the staff. It's not some indictment on the recruiting or, or the transfer portal additions or whatever it may be. It's just that this is a team that hasn't gelled together all that much and is playing a ridiculously hard schedule to begin the season. All right, final question of the show. This one comes from at Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who says, after two scrimmages in which holes were exposed with this team, what would you say to Zags fans who are skeptical of this team's ceiling? Well, for starters, they're scrimmages. And, and I think that that's an important note to have here is that Gonzaga, as of this point, has the same number of losses as every other team in college basketball as I'm recording this, which is zero. Gonzaga has not lost a game. They did not lose to Tennessee. They did not win over Warner Pacific. Those were exhibition games. That doesn't mean we should just ignore the results entirely. In fact, the opposite. I guarantee you Mark View and the staff are not ignoring, are not ignoring the results or the play or the, the, the good and bad things that happened in those games. They are not. They have probably watched the hell out of that uh, tape for that Tennessee game because they looked quite frankly, pretty bad on defense in the second half. And I'm sure some of that was them trying new things and experimenting around with like, well, what do we want to do defensively? Where do we want to find our identity on that end of the floor? Because last year's identity is gone. He's rehabbing an injury in Oklahoma City right now. That was their identity on defense. This year's team doesn't have that, and they're trying to find it. And against Tennessee, they did some things that were interesting. They did some things that might work, and they did some things that did not work at all, that did not work that allowed Tennessee to get free reign at the basket, that got some easy open looks, some open outside shots, some really, really easy shots around the rim. And I'm, I know that Gonzaga and Mark Few are figuring out ways to fix that. So should we be concerned about some of the bad things we saw against Tennessee? Yeah, in some capacity. Again, I don't think we should entirely ignore it. But this program, this staff, the way that they have developed players, the way that they have gotten players to be where they need to be at the right time period is critical. It is so rare for Gonzaga to lean on a guy and say, hey, we're this we're ready for this guy to break out and for them not to do it. I mean, it's really rare for that to happen. Nolan Hickman is, is the guy right now. The Zags need him to be ready. He needs to be the guy. If you look back on <laughs> the times that Gonzaga really counted on somebody and them just not delivering, it doesn't happen very often. The staff is pretty darn good at knowing when guys are ready to go, when they need to find more additions, and, and they did. They made an addition in Malachi Smith that they may not have made if they thought Nolan Hickman is going to be just the absolute superstar from day one, but they made that addition. Maybe they'll lean on him a little bit more early in the year if Nolan's not ready. Maybe they won't have to. I'm not sure. But Gonzaga and the staff and the way that they have ran this program for so long, they are very, very good at knowing when guys are ready to be counted on and when they're not ready to be counted on, and the growth that this team every single year has from early November to March is staggering. Sometimes you see some guys start to fall down a little bit towards the end of the year. And we saw that last year and it was unfortunate uh, that that kind of coincided with a couple of players seeming to struggle down the stretch. But by and large, this team gets better and better every single year. I have no reason to not believe that a team that's about to play Michigan State, Kentucky, Texas, Alabama, etc. isn't going to get a heck of a lot better between now and March. And ultimately, all we care about is how many games they win in March. This team's going to be ready to go by the time they get there. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Enjoy the first game of the season, Zag fans. I will be watching alongside every single one of you, of course. Check in on Tuesday for a recap 
of the game. You can also check out my new new podcast, Locked on College Basketball, which is a national show all about college hoops. It's hosted by me, co-hosted by Isaac Shade, the host of the Locked on Tar Heels podcast. Every single day, five times a week, you guys get a new 30-minute episode all about college basketball from your boy. Give it a listen. Check it out wherever you get podcasts. Go subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.